You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am overly optimistic in this episode, despite the topic. You know, we've learned a lot of lessons since 9-11. We've talked about it before with Joe. We, we promised that Joe was going to come back on the show. As you may recall, if you've listened to the other episode, Joe Hernandez is a medical urban search and rescue expert. He was at Ground Zero in, in the Twin Towers. He actually has his own podcast called Solid Responder. It just launched. What he's going to be doing on that show is be, be sharing stories and lessons, tips from first responders, including in his first episode, he talks with Another expert who re, uh, responded to the Pentagon, so we can talk a little bit more about that. But what today we really want to focus on the stories, the heroes, what we need to do as a country, what we need to do to get it back on track. If we have gotten on tra- off track, you can see behind me, I switched out our logo today for uh, from Disaster Tough to the American flag because right after 9-11, it was like it was all about America. It's about coming together, about United. And I, I really think that we need to do that again now. And so with that introduction, Joe, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Hey, John, it's always a pleasure to be on your show and more. It's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. And I, you know, I really appreciate that. You know, I should be asking how you're doing because uh, I was pretty young when it happened. I, re- I remember it happening. I was still in school. Um, but the fact that you responded, the fact that, you know, you had to de- deal with that. I think we were talking uh, before, what was it, six, 600 per million particles? We're talking, you know, the, the, the breathing, there's been a lot of impacts to first responders. It is incredible that you're operating at the level that you're operating, um, you know, an extreme level. And, and it's really sad that a lot of our other first responders, brothers and sisters, have been impacted. And so 20 years later, um, I guess my first real question is, how are you doing and how is the community doing is are we doing anything different have we improved what are your general thoughts about 9-11 boy those uh thoughts circle around my head uh 
360 degrees. Uh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm uh, going towards my 42nd year of marriage. Uh, awesome. Strong. Uh, having that other, that partner in your life uh, really helps uh, with that response community that you belong to, uh, able to share those stories, those fears, uh, those ideas. And then at the same time, trying to be a good listener because they go through an incredible amount of emotion um, while you're gone from fear to terror to uncertainties to, uh, hey, I need the power of attorney because the refrigerator broke, the ice maker's not working, the TV's not, you know, and, and everything that goes on. And so to that end, thank you for asking. And we're doing really good, thankful to that. And and it's interesting to, to hear that you were young, even though you're you're married with two children yourself. And yeah. and I did get to, uh, to see my three uh, children prior to leaving for uh, the World Trade Center on that Tuesday morning, uh, stopping at the high school and visiting with my two sons and my daughter and saying goodbye to them, the uh, school resource officer saluting and, uh, and paying his respects as we left, uh, heading to uh, Homestead, heading to Miami to get ready to head to Homestead Air Force Base for a flight to New York. And that was our destination. Mm. The irony is that uh, the other teams, uh, we know that five of the teams were headed to the uh, Pentagon, who was uh, in attack itself. Uh, so it was an incredible, uh, incredible Tuesday morning for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I still, that like day is, is kind of burned into my memory. You for obviously different reasons. But, you know, like I said, I was still in school. I think that is the first experience that I had outside of family that I observed death and how to comprehend death and uh, why would somebody want to do that? And like those, some of those emotions. So I think that's might've had, you know, when somebody passes away of old age, you expect it. That's, that's something that you're taught from, a, you know, a child, but to see such a horrible thing. Um, and then it makes you wonder because you're 20 years later and the way we left Afghanistan and the, and the Taliban taking back over. And it's like, there's so many emotions. You're so grateful for the first responders. You're so grateful for all those people that went into the military to protect the United States. And we have tried to learn so much and man, you're just like, it's just, it's really disheartening um the the timing of everything and the, and the way it's happened and and for what and so like i i don't want to make this i guess a, about politics but um we did I, I still also remember everybody coming together being very united right after 9 11 um man I, I have so many tangents right now you were talking about your wife 42 years there's a really famous picture that i have of you we're going to put it on social media of you talking to your wife on the rubble pile um and so you know it, it just it just shows that you you even in that extreme moment you still had that situational awareness and you're able to put your priorities in order how do we all the rest of us get our priorities back in order because it doesn't feel like we are at the moment well you know the uh thanks for for realizing that and there's always strength in numbers so i was reaching out to my wife for prayer as we went underground searching for victims and knowing that the pile had shifted and that we were recovering body parts of not only the victims, but also of our brothers um, within the FDNY EMS uh, 
NYPD and Port Authority uh, emergency responders that were there. And so always reaching for, for the extra person, for that partner, for the numbers. And, and we have learned as we get together in numbers that there is strength. There's strength in being able to share stories and share situations as you has well learned in growing from just two of you to now being four of you and a family and the strength that that now brings. And I know that you mentioned uh, the ugly head of politics. It just seems to always involve itself in emergency management and emergency response to some unkeen desire. Um, our, our nation's recruiting offices were being filled with young men and women who had a focused mission of taking care of who was responsible for the atrocities that were just uh, happened to our country. At the same time, our, our agencies within the cities and counties were filled with recruits wanting to become firefighters, EMTs, uh, paramedics, police officers, uh, correction workers, anything they can do to serve. And I had always taught my children at an early age that uh, whatever they did in life, that it would be very uh, rewarding to them and to others to pick a career that was always giving, give back as opposed to be a taker, be a giver in life. And so it's been a pleasure watching my children choose careers in uh, giving back to uh, the country, giving back to humanity and uh, reaping the rewards that are always there with that. We've talked about this on previous shows about you being gold star family and the the amount of sacrifice that you and your family has given to this country. Um, there, there's not enough. I wouldn't say, I don't know if praise is the appropriate word, but honor that um, that you know that we can give you for that. And um, I hope that anybody who listens to this show or uh, comes across in your life gives you the, the greatest amount of respect says a prayer for you and your family and and for all the other responders really for being willing to to go in and go back and go back and deal with that um and so like i just you know I, in fact uh when we found out that you were gold star um several months ago i still remember uh saying a prayer with my wife and just hoping you guys find peace and, and that eternal perspective and um but you know yeah uh in terms of the perspective of 911 um if you're willing would you would you actually be willing to walk through the deployment order to on site and some of the some of the highlights um that not the highlight it's not highlights that's kind of the you know what i mean the the sure. moments that help other people who weren't there who hope we hope never have to experience that if they get a call, what will their tempo be like? What will that experience be like for them that you can provide um, sure. advice? And, and, you know, I want to start with those that happen to not have their name on the board that day. It might not have been their shift. It might have been their vacation week and the emotions and empty feelings and, and everything else you can think about that they were ready, educated, trained up to the event, and it just wasn't their day. Um, hats off to them because they're in such a needed environment uh, that teams could really function and put them to work uh, in a really strategic way to, to help support the teams. And then to the spouses and families, children included of those responders that leave uh, the door 
some of them without a moment's notice, some of them without being able to tell their loved ones, I love you, hug them, and I'll be back, um, other than through a phone call that just didn't exist. Uh, ironically, there was a massive training session going on at Teeks um, for structural rescue specialists. And a lot of the FEMA IST members, incident support team members, were away from the area, um, including folks from Florida, New York, uh, all across the country were at Teeks. And so it's, it's Murphy's Law when something happens, uh, no one's home, you know, the, 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 you don't have the wrench to fix the leaky pipe. Yeah. And so uh, it, it made it even worse when all air assets were shut down. And so here are individuals needing to get into vehicles and beat feet from the middle Midwestern part of the United States all the way up to the Northeastern corridor, hmm. whether they were going to help at the Pentagon attack and or the World Trade Center. And so it became a, a cluster of functions and, and trying to get everybody there. It wasn't that the country wasn't ready. It was just training going on just as usual. Um, I was happened to be uh, off that day. It was my off day from the fire department. Um, we worked at 24 on 48 off and my gear bag for the urban search and rescue FEMA response is always inside the house ready to go. And uh, my wife and I were going to the post office. Uh, my pager had gone off at the same time. My neighbor across the street was walking out towards us and greeted us uh, good morning and asked us if we had heard what happened at the World Trade Center Tower One. Um, the irony of my pager going off at the same time he was telling his story kind of put the two together. And my wife looked at me and said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's just go ahead and go to the post office and uh, don't know what this day is going to be like. And I believe before, before we even got out of the community, the uh, pager went off a second time. Uh, reference to the second South Tower now being struck. And uh, I turned to her and said, uh, it, it's going to be a long ordeal. Uh, so we uh, finished at the post office, came back home, grabbed my bags and uh, hugged my spouse, uh, went on to the high school and uh, gave my love to my children and headed to the city of Miami for a two wheel, two hour wheel up and then a two hour deployment over to Homestead Air Force Base. Uh, for deployment. The irony was President Bush was in Tampa and nobody really knew what was going on in our country, but we knew, did know that we were under attack at that time. And so we were asked to stay in that area until President Bush cleared the Florida uh, boundaries. Mm. Um, and then us, along with the other 25 FEMA teams, I'm sorry, 24 FEMA teams, were then dispatched by ground uh, to the World Trade Center and then the other four to the Pentagon. So it became a, a beat feet a ground uh, ordeal. And actually the equipment all had to be removed from pallets uh, ready for aviation flight uh, in uh, Air Force aircraft, depalletized, put back into semi-tractor trailers. Uh, buses had to be recalled with drivers for transportation to the World Trade Center. And so you can see as an emergency manager, the logistics uh, help that a planner would need in that kind of an event of saying, hey, this is way beyond my scope of practice. I need somebody with funds, with the money availability. And that's where emergency management sits down at the table and said, I need my finance guy here because we have an issue getting our team out the door. And so you can see how those hats all intermingle when something uh, Murphy's Law plays effect and, and we, uh, we change hats.
Yeah, I mean, you're you're what you're talking about really is, um, you know, maybe it's a romantic view because I wasn't there, wasn't experiencing it. I can't even imagine not. I can't even imagine that somebody didn't even want to help at that moment. It really did feel like like a like a moment in time snapshot in time like everything just paused and everybody was singularly focused on this one thing and um you know support the united states of america support our responders support this mission and so as a an emergency manager that's the kind of united force you need that kind of coordination you need um to get things done quickly i have seen that in large-scale responses but based off of again not being there myself every report that I've seen, everything you're talking about, singularly focused on accomplishing the mission of helping people and then going after the bad guys. And I I just hope that that concept can resonate with people because that's where we really need to get to. We're all on the same team yeah. and nobody cared which political party you were with that day or those weeks, those months. And... Um, you know, that was, that was a, that was a powerful, powerful moment. Yeah. Um, so you, you get on site, um, you're, you're now deployed, you're operating your first image of the twin towers was probably on the news. I'm assuming as you're yeah, moving first yeah. is we, we got a very slight uh, view of television, um, at the Homestead air force base prior to boarding the buses. And after that, we had been, uh, eliminated from being able to see any type of media at all, which was uh, totally different um, mm. from other teams and from other events that we had been uh, we had been to. And in the every day, the response from the Javis Center back to the Ground Zero site, um, we didn't have the availability of going outside of the boundaries of the fenced-in areas to read any papers. We didn't have any televisions with us. And basically we were just relying on each other's words and really not knowing what was going on in the rest of the country, especially with our brothers and sisters over at the Pentagon dealing with what they were dealing with over there and wondering how the two disasters resembled themselves. Could you imagine that happening in 2021 with the amount of like social media, this onslaught? I mean, you would, so you, you, my my question is like, what were your initial thoughts when you actually arrived on scene? Like, what were your tasks? Like, I understand, like, what, like, man, like, how do you even like? So sure. I understand hurricanes, right? Like, I understand like large scale incidents, but you're talking what it was a hundred stories times two, two hundred stories. Oh, two, two buildings. buildings. Yeah, and you're so gone. Like, I can't even. Like, we talk about Surfside. Like, Surfside, you know, it's happened. We we actually had you on the show talk about that, but. The scope of it is just, it's just incredible to even consider. It's not a flat walk across a football field. It is taking 100 stories of material. And actually, as we just talked about, 200 stories worth of material, laying it all on the ground, which makes an incredible rubble pile of steel where you have to maneuver over, under, and between through windows across steel and then have the other assistance from responders, i.e. the union steel workers and the crane operators who were there to help cut and remove the steel as we delayered that pile and tried to make our way down into the sub-basement levels underneath the World Trade Centers. 
which is where we were hoping to find those victims and those survivors. I, I, I almost welcomed it to as a young boy growing up, black and white TV days, which John, you were still a fox. Uh, if that, uh, and I will say a- we did have my grandmother's <laughs> uh, TV, and so I, I I experienced it, but nothing like like, like that. Yeah, there was a, a show that Orson Welles uh, called War of the Worlds, mm. and it was a, a futuristic uh, sci-fi destruction, and it was really the only thing I could associate it to was mm. it was incredible, but to and that was my speaking, looking at it from the outside in. But when you finally made it to the center of that pile and looked from the inside out, you were blown away by the imagery of what was there and how in the world were we going to start the process of trying to find anyone, if there was anyone to find and or to bring closure to the families that needed to have closure brought to yeah, so you had already responded to several. I mean, you've already responded, uh, you know, at least to one terrorist attack before that with uh, Oklahoma City bombing. You've already responded to other incidents similar, smaller in scope, some somehow smaller in scope. Um, I mean, your your training must have truly kicked into that moment. Um, but I mean, it's it's mind boggling to even consider like the 100, 100 stories times two getting in there. You know, if you've been there, it's it's a pretty big, you know, area just to begin with. And you're trying to get to the subfloors, but you're trying to get through 100 floors of material, bringing closure. Um, 65,000 gallons of diesel fuel in both of those buildings to operate their generators. Over yeah. 72 elevators in each building. So the amount of material is just astronomical. Um, and, and even though as a medical personnel, uh, the lack of victims, uh, not finding the victims that we thought we would find, uh, the potential and the injuries that we saw amongst the first responders, um, and then assisting with removal of body uh, parts and uh, to bring closure for folks uh, was, a, was a doubting experience. In Surfside, there was a fire that lasts several days. Because of the diesel fuel, did that happen in uh, Trade Center 2? Yes, it happened uh, for several days. It was one of the injuries we saw from one of the Indiana Task Force 1 members who had uh, flash burns from a hot pocket uh, that, that just rekindled itself. Mm. And throughout the uh, first, I would say the good first week, we had FDNY engines attached to hydrants loading the pile with, uh, with water and it trying to extinguishing some of the sub-basement fires that were still in those areas. Um, How long did it take you to get to the sub-basement? Uh, it didn't take us long. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm small. And so they kind of sent the small guys in, the tunnel rats. Um, at first, we thought it was going to be really cool. We had radios and ropes and all kinds of stuff. And little by little, we knew that radios no working. And the ropes were only so long and line of sight was the only thing we could depend on. So knowing that the Army Corps engineers uh, told us that the buildings had shifted constantly uh, throughout the day, throughout the week, two inches, nine inches, you know, four feet. 
and that we needed to be careful in the areas that we were going into. You could smell the saltwater intrusion down in those sub-basements. Uh, so we really tried to stay as close as possible. Um, just the irony of the, of the, and the fear, you know, going by the areas where people uh, had eaten in restaurants down there, they've come out of the subways, they're in the sub-basement areas, uh, they're eating at a donut shop, you get a half-eaten donut with a set of car keys there on the table and one shoe. And so your mind starts going, John, and saying, wow, this person must have just ran and didn't care whether he had one or both shoes on. It was that important for them to get out of that building at that moment in time. And then your mind wonders, did they survive? Did they even make it out? And so there goes the stories. And a lot of the members began writing their last names inside of their uh, pant legs and on their arms. Some of the members that we had found from FDNY, ironically, uh, rescued two members. Uh, it was a habit for firefighters. As we get our uniforms and our bunker gear washed, uh, that we write our names on the insides of the bottom of the leg flaps and the inside of the arm flaps, just so that when they go out to be deconned or cleaned, they come back and we know whose bunker gear they are. And uh, it was a way of identifying uh, deceased uh, FDNY members uh, by rolling up those areas and uh, being able to call back to administration, let them know who uh, we had encountered. And at the same time, I think the fear overcame the, uh, the responders that were down there and uh, just folks just began writing their own names on their own uh, sleeves and arms and uh, out came uh, little pads of papers. A lot of us kept uh, personal journals uh, that we would just, uh, write a thought just in case there was a disassociation or uh, another catastrophe, a second attack, uh, all those thoughts that were going through our heads. And at least there would be closure for our families, just like we were finding closure or trying to find closure for those families we were searching for. I mean, you get uh, the hazmat station in squad 288, you know, one station from FDNY, one station. And uh, you've got 35 hazmat personnel, another 22 fire department, fire station personnel. So out of that bunch, they, they lost 19. It was the largest loss of life of any one station within FDNY. And out of 19 individuals that passed, we now have to deal with 51 orphans, bodiless children. One day, one station. The... Um... The magnitude of impact, you know, we talk about, you talk about, it's going to be a really messed up statement. And I recognize that. Um, I wrote a very offensive report in my undergrad. And I explained that economically, emotionally, the way that we were responding to war at the time was we were losing because what they did, what these terrorists did, monsters did with a, such a small force with the, you know, $400,000. I think that's what that we figured out what they did and the, yeah. the impact, not just the impact of the immediate loss of life, the impact of the fear, the impact of decades later, you are one of the bravest if not the bravest person I've ever met. And yet 20 years later, 
you know, the fact that you're brave enough to even talk about this and you've talked about this with me, with me now a couple times, the fact that you're still teaching it, the fact that you're still involved with it, the fact that you're focused on helping others be able to handle it because you had to go through it firsthand experience. The impact is just incredible. And it, it goes back to that thought of what are we doing to make sure that Joe Hernandez hero uh, firefighter, unnamed firefighter, and my my book, heroes who lost their lives, people who are eating at a restaurant, you know, casualty. What are we doing to honor those memories, and to honor the the good people who have had to sacrifice too much? Um, that's that's like the thought that I've been thinking about a lot lately it's the same thought i had um surfside when we found out the firefighter had to um you know pulled out his own daughter and um it's too much sacrifice it's yeah. unfair there th this world is unfair and we are it's, we can do a lot to to change that yeah we should we sure can and thank you for for bringing those things up um, they're important in the response world. Uh, those things are just as important because they are manifestations during and after those responses that take place. And sometimes we don't even count those individuals. Um, after the Oklahoma City bombing, the, the reality of divorce going up 800% in a department is unheard of. Why? Why aren't we speaking to those individuals during this event to prepare them for the manifestation changes that are going to go on in, in the spouse and in the family makeup from this type of an event. And let's prevent those divorces. As you said, economically, it's unsustainable to see that we're at 30% increase in suicide rates. We're losing more first responders to suicide than on the job deaths. And they're doing it at the station. And so where have we come and why have we not prepared those individuals for these certain situations? Uh, I briefly spoke with uh, Mike Lay in, during, in an interview for uh, our show on Solid Responder regarding the attack on the Pentagon. And Ann Carr um, was the wife and, uh, of a responder. And she had been very instrumental in creating what we knew as the beginning of a family support mechanism, it's strong in Maryland Task Force One. And unfortunately, the system had decided to not replicate that particular uh, chapter in uh, education for the new curriculum. And I found, I found it and a couple other uh, older instructors found it uh, Intrusive. Uh, we, we found it as uh, non-valuable and uh, it was sad to hear the new millennial thoughts on eliminating something that we felt was so important as we've seen the changes in the generations that affect them as well. So my question, does it make sense because there's been such a strong push just in general for mental, I call it mental first aid. Yeah. People like our stigma still on mental health, but so I call it mental first aid because it makes sense for a little bit better for people. But there's been such a push for that and such a recognition for that. How about the recognition that 
even as a responder, there are levels. There is not a single person in the United States, yourself included, the expert, like the guy, literally, who had to have ever had to deal with 200 plus story collapses from a terrorist attack. And you were the you were the guy that responded to the only other domestic well domestic terrorist uh, event that you know took out a huge building a federal building. There has to be some recognition that hey this is not normal, and because it's not normal, and when I mean by normal, I'm saying this as a guy who's responded to every kind of natural disaster and several man made disasters in the book, kind of wrote the wrote the book in some ways. There is stuff I signed up for. There's stuff that I'm aware of. You know, when firefighters are afraid, when they feel fear, when they're writing their name, that means something's different. That That's not your typical house fire. I don't know that everybody's hopefully evacuated already. I don't. They're supposed to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And yeah. not, they're not fearing the response of an entry into a building or a car or whatever it is, they're fearing life itself and how it's affecting their mental health and their thought patterns and their family and their life and how they're dealing with their other significant other, their children, et cetera. Um, and and I, I, I wish for a, a certain degree, I, I grew up and worked in the old firehouse mm. and we didn't have individual bedrooms. We had a common room. Mm. Uh, we didn't have individualness. We all ate at the table together. Everybody chipped in seven, eight, nine dollars. We all bought dinner and whether it, we were able to finish cooking it, whether some had to go out on the call, whether we kept it warm until they came back, whether we left them dishes to have to do to share the responsibilities. It was a, a family makeup and there was a reason for it. It was to be able to lean on each other when times were tough, but also when it didn't involve fire department, when it didn't involve rescuing anybody, just the everyday chores of, man, you know, I'm struggling in this part of my life or I'm struggling in that part of my life. You got any suggestions? And that's really where the strength comes from. And I think we're missing that. I think we're all getting on our social media platforms and we're depending on somebody across that electronic screen to rely on and to talk to instead of the guy or the girl next to me who we could share so much together or even miles away that you and I can get on a Zoom call and share some real heart-to-heart -heart issues and some thoughts. Uh, the mind-boggling memories of when I returned home and I went to my children's ex-elementary school. Now they're in high school. I went to their elementary schools because we had great relationships with their teachers. And I wanted to speak to those children because of what I saw taped up to the walls at the World Trade Center as we walked by and they, they were pictures of children across the country drawing burning buildings, people jumping out of buildings. And how does a child process those images uh, from day to day, from week to week? And as parents, are we allowing children to be desensitized by watching these type of events and playing these type of games and not having a reality check of what's real and what's not? Yeah, the reality check of what's real and what's not. I think even if you see what's real, it's hard to comprehend that it is real. By the way, your comment, I don't want to make light of it, 
but at your training, which is phenomenal, by the way, I've said it like every time we've brought it up, uh, your I there was seemingly some responders there at your training that were ten feet tall and bulletproof. They are not very good for crawling through holes. So you say it's not good, but good. The fact that you're small, I would say that God made you small so that you could save some lives. And um, man, I'm six two, two twenty. I felt I felt a little too big in that hole. So I don't know. I, 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 I have definitely appreciated the fact that um, brave men, brave men and women, as we saw at the, the USAR training, um, not every size, not every shape is good for every activity. And if you want, you, you want somebody, if you're in a pancake building, I'm hoping that five to buck 20 somebody gets to me because that's who's going to get to me. So doesn't matter the size and you're a giant in my book anyways. So, uh, I, I really want to thank you for sharing your experiences. I think we could talk about this for a while. We've talked about it on other shows. You're going to be talking about it probably quite a bit on your show, solid responder. Again, I think everybody should be listening to, to experts talking about their experiences because that's when you get people who are like, Hey, I'm going to develop the curriculum and talk about this, you know, developing programs when I'm a chief or when I'm whenever, I heard I heard an expert who is at 9-11 say, hey, you got to talk about mental health. Hey, you got to address these problems. You got to create unity in in the stations. And um, maybe maybe these micro cultures can be get a little bit closer. I certainly felt pretty close to people as they were crawling over me in the in the practice facility. Um, but and, and that's yeah. what I believe that disaster medical solutions and Doberman emergency management can bring to the table is that complete exercise of response management, recovery and mitigation, which includes mental health counseling and our general facilities, bringing everything back to the way we were before the disaster happened. And so that community integrated disaster response exercise that emergency government emergency management and disaster medical solutions is looking to bring across the country, I think will be an answer to a lot of solutions for agencies, city, tribal, and county. Yeah. I think you and I have the similar methodologies of it's about helping people do better. And you and I have both taken personal financial hits to be able to do that, but you know, I feel good doing it. That's, yeah. um, yeah. I, I, I was so impressed by the, the training methodology that you have with the, both the instruction and, you know, the repetitive nature of getting in there, practice, hot wash, and, um, you know, people wanting to stay there longer, um, people wanting to stay there later, um, not complaining about missing meals or doing meals later. That is the type of, type of training that we need to have that builds camaraderie. By the way, you had, you had teams all over the country show up there and now you're starting to build a network of people be able to talk off site. And so, um, you know, kudos to you and really what you're doing. And, and the fact that, like I said before, man, it's, it's, it, I can't even call you man. Well, man is kind of the greatest term you can call somebody if you think of the truest sense of the word. But, uh, that being said, you, you you're like a demigod in my book. And uh, the fact that you've been able to do, do so many great things, the fact that you keep coming on the show and be able to talk to people free, by the way, for all of our listeners, 
It's just yes. education. And um, I'm happy to pair up with you and to be able to help you out wherever I can. Um, for everybody who's responded to their families, to the survivors, to anybody who saw it on TV for the first time death like myself, I think you and I would both agree that unity is can help out a lot. Mental health, disaster mental health, disaster mental you know, first aid um, it is a big deal. It's not just important for your career. It's about making a tough call. And sometimes the toughest call is say, hey, I went through something extremely unusual here. And I want to make sure that, you know, things work out. You have 42 years of marriage. Your wife seems awesome. You always talk about her, which means you're awesome. And um, if you're doing it right, if you're happy this many years later, then maybe other people should uh, follow your example. So that's my, that's my final call out there. Joe, if you're going to give some advice to a first responder or emergency manager, anybody who'd be dealing with the response, humanitarian even, what would you be your final call to them today? Learn how to take a little trauma timeout. I love it. Not only for yourself, but for those around you. Time out. Don't expose yourself and don't expose those around you. I think we'll end it there. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Joe. Um, Always a pleasure seeing and talking to you. You know, you're going to keep coming on the show. Um, I hope your show takes off. Uh, we're big fans of it. It's going to be on the Readiness Lab for, uh, for everybody who's want to learn a little bit more. It's free education, yep. essentially. In fact, on the Readiness Lab, our little plug for Joe, again, not paid or anything, but we actually put his SUSAR conference on November 30th coming up on there. So you can learn more about that. We actually did a backlink to Disaster Medical Solutions so they can check that out. Joe is truly an expert, obviously, from this conversation alone. You should check out any other show that he is on. Um, and if you want to reach out to Joe, if you want to thank him for all the work he's done, the best way to do that is to reach out to him directly. Um, we can put that in our show notes. But please tag him. Tag Joe Hernandez on LinkedIn, on Disaster, disaster Medical Solutions, wherever, and just say thank you. That would be our biggest um our biggest wish is that people actually start thanking them. And then I'm going to guess Joe's going to agree with me here. Maybe it's a really good time to thank either through action or through deed. Same thing, I guess, um, to the first responders in your community that you just send them a note, send them, you know, they need, they need equipment. They need all this. They need help and uh, have their back. When, when legislation comes up where they don't want to provide help, hound your, local politicians to be able to make sure the first responders get that help they need. And I think that's kind of the outcome that we would look from the general public perspective. Um, Agree totally. Agree yeah. totally. Good. So uh, we're not going to do our, our wine and uh, dance at the end of this episode. We're just going to leave it with people um, thinking about nine 11. If you, if you're a praying type or a meditation type, or you're an action person type, just think about something that you can help become more united with your first responders and thank the people who have to sacrifice too much. And we'll leave it there. You have a good weekend. Good night.